Hello and welcome to Obsession, where we get horribly obsessed, highly obsessed, <laughs> hilariously obsessed with things that other people might find odd. Nothing is too obscure, too creepy or too weird for us to research obsessively. I'm Heidi. And I'm Rebecca. Join us in being obsessed. <laughs> hello, Heidi, and hello, obsessives. Welcome back. Hello, obsessives, and hello, Becky. How are you today? I am pretty good. I'm pretty perky. Yes. Um, I know that you've been a bit sick, and I've been a bit sick. Yeah. But yeah, it sounds like we're, we're both taking a turn for the better. Yep, yep which is good. Yes, Definitely. and uh, we have been neglecting our lovely yeah. audience a little yeah. bit these last few weeks. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, we are committed and we are passionate. We're just a little bit disorganised and a little bit, you know, just think it this way. It's always a surprise when one suddenly, you know, drops into your inbox. Yes, and, you know, it's the absence that makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> I like to think, I like I hope to think so. of it that way. <laughs> I think it's a pretty good theory to me. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully we're making people miss us. Yeah. So I hear there's a bit of a storm going on in Adelaide at the yeah, moment. Yeah, just a, just a gentle one, but and it's late at night, yeah. so this is kind of good ambiance for our podcast tonight. I lo- love storms and I love rain and... I love living in places where the weather is a bit gloomy. Which is just as well where you live right now. Yes, yes, because <laughs> Melbourne, Melbourne is known for being occasionally gloomy. Just occasionally. Yeah, but I used to live in Ireland and mm. it rained a lot and yes. people complain constantly about the rain in Ireland. Oh, my God, I loved it. Oh, yeah. Well, as an Australian, it would be, you know, an exciting novelty. And also being a strange person that you are. No, same. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I moved to Edinburgh afterwards and experienced snow for the first time and and was just completely hyped about snow. So, you know, that's in your element. (laughs) In your element. In my element, yes. So how long were you in, in Ireland for? I lived in Ireland for a year and I lived in Scotland for a year. So So when you lived in Ireland and Scotland, did you ever go exploring for, you know, folklorish creatures? Of course I did. (laughs) Of course I did. Of um, course you did. And you know what? Even over there, I I was considered a bit of a weirdo when it came to that, that sort of stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you, you go to Ireland and, and you say you're really into fairies and, and they'll go, good on you. <laughs> well done. So they've come a long way then. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that because the story that we're going to tell you today uh, is set in Ireland, but it's not set in modern-day Ireland. Yeah. Uh, it's set um, in rural island back in the late 1800s when it was quite different very different and very difficult I would yeah yeah and um look we're going to have to give you a bit of a warning about 
tonight's episode. So it's kind of a heavy episode. We don't usually do true crime unless there's some link to spirituality or mysticism or art history or any of the other things that we like to talk about. Uh, We've talked about Richard Dad and Annalise and Michelle, but murder trials aren't usually our thing. This story, however, captured both of us for reasons. (laughs) Yes, for reasons that will become obvious as the story unfolds. And just a quick warning. Today's episode does contain details of a very gruesome murder, as well as a description of an abusive relationship. So if that's something that you just can't deal with right now, it's completely understandable if you want to skip this one. Yeah, that's right. It may also, unfortunately, um, be familiar to Australian uh, readers with some recent um high-profile media stories. So really, really, we cannot stress it enough. This episode will be disturbing. Yeah. You ready, Heidi? Yes. Shall we jump into this dark, dark tale? Yes, but before we do, we're going to start with a song. Okay, here we go. Are you witch or are you fairy or are you the wife of Michael Clare? Are you witch or are you fairy or are you the wife of Michael Clare? So what you just heard was a traditional children's skipping song from Tipperary in Ireland. Like most old children's rhymes, its innocent-sounding lyrics conceal a much darker meaning. Are you a witch? Are you a fairy? Are you the wife of Michael Clary? Is a childish paraphrase of the last words ever heard by the talented, clever, modern and charismatic young woman called Bridget Cleary. Bridget Cleary was born Bridget Boland in 18... in the rural town of Ballyvadley in County Tipperary, Ireland. Her father, Patrick Boland, was a labourer and Bridget and her siblings were some of the few children in the area who were literate. Patrick was determined that his children would get an education and lift themselves out of the poverty that surrounded them. Bridget had inherited his determination, and after a childhood attending the local school, she moved to the nearby town of Clonmel and became a dressmaker's apprentice. Bridget was the girl who had everything. She was smart, confident, had an amazing work ethic and a vivacious personality. On top of that, she was very pretty, and had no shortage of marriage proposals. The one man that had truly captivated her interest, however, was a cooper named Michael Cleary. She was 18 and he was 27. And apart from the age difference, which surprisingly was actually controversial among the locals, Mm. they were considered pretty well suited. Michael was considered to be a lovely fellow Handsome with impeccable manners, don't they all? (laughs) Mm. Mm. They married in 1887, the same year that they met. Now, this is where we first see how unconventional Bridget must have been for a woman of her time. Instead of remaining in Clonmel with her husband, 
the newly married Bridget moved back to Ballyvadley to live with her parents. Michael stayed in Clonmel during the working week and spent the weekends with his wife in the Boland household. You can imagine what the neighbours would have thought of this arrangement. Mm. Almost as shocking was what Bridget brought back home with her, a singer sewing machine. Now, this seems like a small detail, but it was a big deal for a person to have their own singer. They were very expensive and had to be paid off in instalments. Bridget had the audacity to set herself up as an independent dressmaker and businesswoman. As well as this, she bought chickens and started a side business delivering freshly laid eggs to the local homesteads. She dressed in the most fashionable clothes and seemed to cherish the independence she had during mm -hmm. the week when her husband was out of town. Of course, the neighbours had opinions. <laughs> they sure did. The gossips of Ballyvadley had a great time spitefully discussing the love affairs that they thought that Bridget and even Michael must surely be having. As an attractive and ambitious woman, Bridget was looked upon with suspicion and probably some resentment. Also, the Clearies were childless even after some years of marriage. Irish families in those days were large and couples that struggled with infertility were seen as pitiful. Bridget, however, didn't seem to mind her childless state. The time she would have spent on rearing children was given wholeheartedly to her business ventures and Bridget seemed content with her life. She was thriving financially and becoming highly respected dressmaker. She took care of her elderly parents and seemed to be happy enough with Michael when they were together. At some point, her father, Patrick, decided to take advantage of a government housing scheme that upgraded the dwellings of retired labourers. Patrick accepted the offer of a beautiful new cottage so that his daughter and son-in-law could stay there, giving the couple the opportunity to live together full time. It seems to be the perfect situation, right? Uh. Not quite. The reason why they were able to obtain the nicest cottage in town was because nobody else wanted it. The house had been built on a ring fort. Mm. So I'm going to pause the story here to give a bit of folkloric backstory. Ring forts are the remains of ancient houses, some of them dating back to the Iron Age. These houses were round, which means that their remains are often in the form of large circles in the earth, while some even have rem rem remnants of stone walls. What's the big deal, you might ask? A bit of archaeological history in your backyard doesn't seem too bad, right? The thing is that rural island in that time was a place deeply connected to mysticism, magic and superstition. In fact, the ring forts were often known as fairy forts. Now, I've mentioned the origins of Irish fairies in earlier podcasts. I think in the Angel episode, I touched on the Tua de Danon, the godlike pre-Celtic people of Ireland and their connection to fairy folklore. But all I'll say in this episode is that the fairies that were believed in at this time 
were dangerous. Oh, yeah. The fairy lore of Old Island is both rich and terrifying. Fairies will curdle your milk, cause you to lose your way, injure you, kidnap you, and if you anger them enough, they will kill you. They were often called the good people, not because they actually were good, but as a method of appeasement and flattery. Ring forts or fairy forts were believed to be jealously guarded by the fairies. And there are even stories of the rings being portals into the world of fairy, a place you do not want to go to as much as you think. No. <laughs> Living on or close to a fairy fort was seen as incredibly bad luck. And when Bridget's mother passed away soon after the move, the locals blamed the family's foolhardy decision to disturb the magical area. I've just had a random memory, Heidi. Yeah. I ever did this when you were a kid. Did you ever stand in a ring of daisies? They were called fairy rings. Do you know what? I didn't grow up knowing about fairy rings. Right. But just recently, actually just before the lockdown, I was in the park outside and I saw a daisy ring mm -hmm. and I immediately thought, don't stand in the middle of it. Don't stand yeah. in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm actually wondering now um, if that's got some kind of correlation back to the, um, you know, fairy fort rings. I don't know. Anyway. No, I, I, think I, it does. I think it does. I think it does too. I'll, I'll yeah. look into that now. Yeah. I myself would definitely have loved that house. I would love to live on a fairy fort. You know who else liked the idea of fairy forts? Bridget. She appeared to have a great interest in the fairies and unlike most of the locals, she wasn't frightened of going into the most fairy-inhabited places. Now, you might remember that as well as being a dressmaker, Bridget had a side hustle as a poultry farmer. And so on Monday, March the 4th, 1895, Bridget was on her usual egg delivery route. One of her customers was Jack Dunn, who also happened to be her father's cousin and a noted expert in fairy lore. Jack lived near a fairy fort with a particularly dangerous reputation. Bridget did what she always did. She lingered near the edges and her keen and curious eyes watched for any movement that she could attribute to the good folk. She may have even left an offering of some sort for luck. Jack wasn't home and despite the cold, Bridget waited for him. After a while, the chill became too much for her and Bridget set off home. Even sitting by her fire in the cottage, Bridget could not get warm. She went to bed with a terrible migraine and was too ill to get up the next morning. It was so out of character for Bridget to take a day off work that Patrick, her father, took a four-mile trek in a rainstorm to find the nearest doctor. The doctor was booked out for most of the week, but he assured Patrick that it sounded as though Bridget had a nervous excitement and slight bronchitis, which sounds like the 19th century version of saying, you know, you have a cold. Michael, however, did not accept this diagnosis. He made his own visits to the doctor, only the symptoms he listed were quite different. He claimed that Bridget was now two inches taller than she had been before falling ill. He also described her as being too fine to be the real Bridget. 
meaning perhaps that her appearance was more beautiful than she was normally. He spoke to Jack Dunn, who, as we know, was a respected expert on the fairy realm. After speaking with Dunn, Michael came away with the idea that the figure lying in their bed was not, in fact, his wife, Bridget, but a changeling. So what is a changeling? As we said before, rural island of old had an adamant belief in fairies. Anything that couldn't be explained was blamed on vengeful fairies, and this included health problems, birth conditions, and mental illness. A fairy might steal a perfectly healthy human baby and leave one of their own babies or even an elderly fairy in its place, which would be sickly and fail to thrive. In a time when many health conditions had no name, it was easier to believe that a child with a sickness or disability was a fairy replacement for their own child, otherwise known as a changeling. Parents who believed their child to be a changeling usually did one of three things. They took responsibility for the child and accepted it into the family. They abandoned the child or they subjected the child to a series of abusive rituals mm. intended to drive the fairy out and bring the original child back. The third option often ended in the child's death. Adult changelings were less common, but used to explain sudden personality changes that these days we might attribute to mental health issues. Whether people truly believed that their loved ones had been stolen by the fairies or whether they were putting a psychological distance between themselves and the abandonment or killing of the loved one is up mm. for debate and something we'll probably never fully know or understand. Whether Michael really believed Bridget was a changeling is something we'll get into later. I'll just add that changeling beliefs are not unique to old Irish culture. They do appear in the folklore of many cultures under different names, and they're not that different from the idea of demonic possession, which yeah. exists to this day. And I just want to add that there is an excellent novel called The Good People by Hannah Kent, and it's... Um, it's um, a fictional retelling of a, a true life murder trial that was a, a little bit similar to the one that we're talking about today, except it involved a child. So it's oh, a really? great book, The Good People. Was that, was that before or after Bridget? Before. Right. Yeah. Well, I'll have to check that one out. Yeah. Um, so the real doctor did finally visit Bridget after many requests. And as he suspected, Bridget had bronchitis. Some sources say that the doctor wasn't terribly concerned and recommended a few days of bed rest. Some say that he told them to summon the priest to administer the last rites. Either way, the priest did arrive to do just that, and it triggered panic in the household. It wasn't just the priest who stirred up fear. Our good friend Jack Dunn advised Michael and Patrick to summon Dennis Ganey, the local fairy doctor. Now, that's a job for me. 
You never you never find fairy doctor on seek.com, do you? Do you ever search for that? Never no. No, well, yeah, but I would be a very different fairy doctor from from Dennis Gainey. I hope so. I would be much <laughs> more sensible. I really hope so. So, Michael did visit this doctor Gainey person. Now, we have to mention here that fairy doctors were highly regarded. They often learned their ways through generational knowledge. And he made a herbal concoction that Bridget was to drink with boiled milk. Now, this all sounds harmless enough and rather lovely remedy you would find on Pinterest today. However, the method in which this drink was administered to Bridget was so reminiscent of the way Annalise Michelle was treated in our exorcism episode. Yes, and I'll just add here that it was very possible that this uh, mixture had foxglove in it. Oh, really? Foxglove is poisonous. Interesting. Yeah, yes, very, very interesting. And, yes, a lot of what happens next does feel like an exorcism. Yeah, yeah, it does. So... The tiny cottage was full of relatives and neighbours when Bridget was made to take Gainey's herbal remedy. Three male cousins pinned Bridget to the bed while her husband held her mouth open and forced the drink down her throat. Also present was her father, Patrick, an aunt called Mary Kennedy, cousin Johanna Burke, Jack Dunn and a local couple, William and Minnie Simpson. Michael yelled out questions such as, are you Bridget Cleary or Bridget Boland, wife of Michael Cleary in the name of God? And I might warn our viewers here again that, yep. that this is where things get more disturbing. It's okay to switch off now if you can't deal with this stuff at the moment. Okay, so the male cousins apparently threw urine at her. There's not much detail about how this was done or why. I'm guessing it was part of fairy banishing law and I wouldn't oh. be surprised if it had been suggested by Jack Dunn. Very possible. Euron was used to drive out fairies. Yes, and so was fire. Yeah. Then <laughs> the men hoisted up the screaming and terrified Bridget, took her over to the fireplace and continued their questions while she was held over the grate. Over and over again, are you Bridget Boland, daughter of Pat Boland, wife of Michael Cleary, while Bridget screamed that she was? Oh. Eventually, yes, eventually, Bridget was put back in bed and the onlookers went home. Thankfully, Michael seemed happy with what he saw and he left her in peace for the night. Aunt Mary and Cousin Joanna helped her change her nightdress and cleaned her up before tucking her in. The next day was March the 15th and Bridget felt strong enough to get out of bed. She did something that her Cousin Joanna saw as life-affirming. She put on one of her fashionable outfits and her gold earrings. A priest had already been over to cleanse the room with a blessing. And that evening, they had guests over for tea. Hmm. Now, most of what happens next was reported by Joanna Burke, 
And this next part that I'm about to read out is taken from her court testimony. All right, here we go. Her father, my brother and myself and deceased and her husband sat by the fire. They were talking about the fairies and Mrs. Cleary said to her husband, your mother used to go with the fairies and that is why you think I am going with them. He asked her, did my mother tell you that? She said she did and that she gave two nights with them. I made tea and offered Bridget Cleary a cup of it. Her husband got three bits of bread and jam and said that she should eat them before she should take a sup. He asked her three times, are you Bridget Cleary, my wife, in the name of God? She answered twice and ate two pieces of bread and jam. When she did not answer the third time, he forced her to eat the third bit, saying, if you won't take it down, you will go. He flung her on the ground, put his knee on her chest, one hand on her throat, and forced the bit of bread and jam down her throat, saying, swallow it. Is it down? Is it down? You know, I, you notice that scene happens after she sort of challenged him with his mother? Yes. Yes. Yeah, she was, she was giving him a bit of sass about his mother. Yeah. And even after all that had happened to her the night before, she still had the strength and the gumption to do that. And to dress and to, yeah. And to put on her gold earrings. Yeah, yeah. There was, I, a, bit of, there was a bit of spirit to oh, her and you wonder why. But mm. Yes. And, you know, the bread and jam bed, it's just so bizarre. I mean, it's definitely a control thing. Oh, that's what I was going to say. It's, yeah. it's, it's not bizarre if you look at it in the context of coercive control or yeah. a, a bullying relationship or an emotionally abusive relationship, although this is definitely far more than an emotionally abusive relationship. Oh, yes. Look, I, you know, it's, it's at this stage because we don't know that much about Michael before, before these actions. Mm. And, you know, before that he kind of looked like a really concerned maybe gullible and superstitious husband but now yeah, but now we we see the real michael that he's an abusive bully he's got a terrible yep. temper yep and i don't think that would have been unfamiliar to no, young preacher no and and we're starting to get a picture of their early marriage and yep. and um maybe why bridget was so yep. happy to be living with her parents agreed for the first years of their marriage. Yeah, we agree. Yeah. 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 Mm. Well, the next part is the truly horrific part. Just, just warning you. <laughs> it does actually get worse. <laughs> yeah. So Joanna goes on to state in her testimony that she told Michael to leave Bridget alone and that the person in front of them was Bridget, not a fairy. It was, yeah. Sorry, I'm just thinking. Yeah. The, the men are all sort of joining in on this, aren't they? But the women are kind of trying to bring some rationality to this. Yes. Yes, at this stage. At this stage, yeah. Yeah. It was then that Michael stripped Bridget down to her calico underdress, took a burning stick from the fire and held it close to her mouth. At some point during this ordeal, Joanna claims to have heard Bridget's head slam against the floor. And this is when Michael exclaims that she is dead, and I truly hope she was dead at this point. Yeah, me too. 
Aunt Mary, who was in the back bedroom while this was happening, claims that by the time she ran to the kitchen, Bridget's underclothes had already caught fire. Now remember that Bridget's father and other cousins are also present and they've been yelling out at Michael to stop what he's doing. Michael doesn't stop. He takes a lamp and pours paraffin over Bridget's body, causing her to burst into flames. Oh, God. When a cousin, James Kennedy, later testified in court, he said Michael turned around to say, she's not my wife. She's an old deceiver sent in place of my wife. She's after deceiving me for the last seven or eight days and deceived the priest today too, but she won't deceive anyone anymore. As I begin it with her, I will finish it with her. You'll soon see her go up the chimney. The terrified guests hid from both Michael and the flames in the back bedroom. After he'd taken care of the fire, Michael opened the door and ordered one of Bridget's cousins, Patrick Kennedy, to assist him in getting rid of the body. Everyone else was locked in until their return. The family was sworn to silence and Michael spent days at the fairy ring near Jack Dunn's house, claiming he believed the real Bridget would return on a white horse. Meanwhile, the Royal Irish Constables were searching the countryside for a woman who had been reported missing. It was on the 22nd of March that they finally found the shallow, boggy grave that had been dug by Michael and Patrick. Bridget was wrapped in a sheet and her body was the most terribly mutilated that they had ever seen. Her lower body was so badly burned that parts of her skeleton could be seen. And a stocking and one earring were all that remained of her clothing. No funeral was held for Bridget. She was buried five days after being found with no ceremony or wake, all in the small intimate village boycotted this event. Mm. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so telling. Oh gosh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Now, one of the chief troublemakers in this story, Jack Dunn, who also happened to be the reason that her body was ever even ever uncovered by police. Michael had told him of the burning of his wife and a horrified Jack had told the priest. This same priest had already encountered a very wild and agitated Michael, so who didn't actually say that what he'd done to his wife but was saying that he had done something wrong and he couldn't be forgiven. Mm. Um, and he was so agitated that he wouldn't take his confession. So this priest, after um, Jack told him, did go to the police and make a report. Yes, and um, I'll just add here that um, the thing that upset Jack Dunn the most was that Bridget wasn't getting a, a proper Christian burial. Oh, really? Yes. That, that's, that's the thing that upset him the most. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Well, the newspapers went wild and the story even spread as far as the New York Times. In Britain, conservative Tory reportage took on a political edge. How, they asked, could they grant autonomy to a people so savage as to believe in fairies and use them as a motive for murder? Yes, exactly. So this is during the time where Home Rule 
was being fought for and the Irish were just demeaned everywhere. Does this remind you of Annalisa? Yes, it does because, yeah. it, it, you know, her death was being used um, for the advancement of Vatican II. Yeah, that's right. Or no, no, anti-Vatican II. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, it's, it's, it's a little bit similar, isn't it? It is. It yeah. is. So court proceedings began on the 3rd of July and there were nine defendants indicted on charges of wounding. <laughs> the five that were also indicted for murder were Michael Cleary, Patrick Boland, Mary Kennedy, James Kennedy and Patrick Kennedy. The jury were made to view Bridget's body, both to identify her and to be made aware of the extent of the violence that had caused her death. John Dunn, Michael Kennedy and William Kennedy, and I believe they may have been the cousins who held her down on the bed on that um, night before her death, mm -hmm. were convicted of wounding. Jack Dunn ended up serving three years of penal servitude. Michael had six months of hard labour and William 18 months of hard labour. Patrick Kennedy, who'd helped with the burial, was sentenced to five years penal servitude and James Kennedy, six months of hard labour. Mary Kennedy was released, but Bridget's father, Patrick Boland, was given six months hard labour. Michael Cleary was sentenced to 20 years of penal servitude and not murder, mind you. Yeah of which he ended up serving 15. That seems awfully low, doesn't it, for the time? It does. It does. The only thing known about Michael's life after prison was that he lived for some time in Liverpool before emigrating to Montreal in 1910, and I hope he never remarried. Mm, yeah, oh, yeah, or had children. Yes, so many men in her family in the village, and bear in mind that this village where she lived, it literally had like 30 households. It was not a large, yes. very intimate, right? But so many men of that village were willing to take part in this abuse and so many family members as well. Yes. Bizarre. Her father. I know. Father. I, I know. But deep down, it really makes me wonder about potential underlying misogyny here. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like she yes. was some kind of an upstart needing bringing down a peg or two? Yes. She was extremely independent. And you so, so, you know, this is a time when men were seen as being essential for a woman's survival. But mm. she earned more money than her than husband. Than her husband, yeah. So that would have been considered... Um, Positively haughty. It would have been considered unnatural. Mm. Um, also, she was childless, so she would have been under suspicion for for that. You yeah. know, why why is she childless? And also, why doesn't she seem to mind that she's childless? She's not childless. Yes. Do yes. You, yeah, that's still a thing these days. It, it, yeah, it can be. Not so Just, much. Not, not to so this much, extent. But but but, but, but the tone. Yes, there. Does that make sense to you? You know, yes. I think about her being stripped of her clothes before he burned her. Yes. And I don't know, I can't quite put it into words, but I feel that there's something in that. And also 
it seems to be a lot of oral attacks. Somehow this sexualizes it, the poker to a mouth, the forcing of the liquid. Am I drawing too wide a bow here, Heidi? What do you think? Look, I think the whole thing was just so horrific that, oh, you know. Do you think ha- it's ha- rooted in just mysticism? Or no. Or do you think there is misogyny in there as well? No, I think I think in Michael's case, and of course I'm just making a guess, yeah. we will never truly know, but no. just making a guess, I would say mainly misogyny, maybe yeah. a little bit of mysticism if that yeah yeah you know I think I think he was driven by a kind of jealousy whether it was jealousy of her being incredibly successful uh whether it was jealousy over her independence um, see I think Michael mentally used the light of belief in fairies to justify an existing violence within him towards her mm. And I think that those who supported him use their fairy beliefs to understand their resentment of her modernity. Does that that's what Yeah. I'm... Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that, that really does make a lot of sense. And also, um, you know, the fact that these rumors about um Bridget having affairs and and yeah. you might remember there was a man, William Simpson. Yeah. Um, who was there at, you know, the night before she died. And there were a lot of rumours apparently about uh, her and William Simpson. Now, for me personally, I don't think it's that important whether or not she actually was having an affair. I don't think she was. No, I, I don't think so either. But I don't think it really matters because I think that Michael was the sort of man who if he even thought about his wife having an affair, that oh, would yeah. be enough. That would be enough to set him off. Oh, yeah. I mean, she wouldn't have had to have done anything, I don't think. Um, you know, no. I think. No, and that, and that is the thing about abusive relationships, that uh, there is no uh, cause and effect. They will find no. the cause to create the effect. Does no, that make sense? It does because it's so illogical, which is why it fits in so perfectly with this fairy changeling belief. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it's it's just horrific on every level. Yeah. And what is alarming to me is it's not unfamiliar to society now just a different uh, belief system behind it. Does that make sense? Oh, yes, it does. It it really does make sense. And and for the same um, reasons why I suspect Bridget was was murdered, because she couldn't be controlled. Yes, yes. She couldn't be controlled. She was her own person. And to a weak man, like I suspect that Michael was a very weak man in yeah. in character to to somebody like him that's that's terrifying mm, yeah and yeah terrifying in a mystical must be a fairy kind of way absolutely and it's really strange that um she is remembered historically as the last witch burnt in oh. ireland 
she is she's that's that's sort of what she's known as but yeah there was no link to witchcraft because witchcraft is linked to you know in in that sense it's linked to satanism whereas you yeah. know there was there was no link to satanism um no with, but there is the link happened. that it is women being independent yes <laughs> yeah goodness gracious yeah, there me. Definitely is. do not be independent i know how dare wow. she we, oh. we haven't gotten anywhere, have we, Heidi? No, no. The tragic death of Bridget Clary is, retold, is retold over and over again through children's rhymes, songs, plays and poetry. The oral history of Tipperary has added a richness of detail as well as opinions and theories. You know, one of the things that I found throughout the research for this particular mm. podcast is how many people um, tell stories of, well, my great-great-grandfather was living in so-and-so at the time and thought this. And so it's, it's become almost a folklore in itself. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the reports are all varied. They're all conflicting. Whether or not Michael truly believed his wife was a changeling is still up for debate but, for but most here's people. My, but here's my thing. Even if he did think she was a fairy, it was still rooted in yes. the need to control her. Yes. Yes. Because you can I, hear I men of today agree. sort of say, well, my wife was cheating on me. It's their own justification for the brutality yeah. they want to put out. Yes. Yes. Well, that was very dark. It was incredibly dark. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I've I've been completely caught up in this story over the last few days, and and um, I kind of have the feeling that Bridget is going to release me in a couple of minutes. Oh, really? Yes. I hope so. And I hope it, we hope that everyone listening is okay too. You know, now yes. now might be the time that you know you turn off the podcast and do something fun and light and silly and you yeah, know, and a bit joyous. Yes, absolutely. Talking about light and silly, mm-hmm. I think we we may have got gotten an offer the other day, Becky. An offer. An offer of you know. Advertising, advertising <laughs> revenue. Yes. yes well, indeed. not so much revenue because because money wasn't actually suggested. No, the product was offered, I believe. No, no, it wasn't offered. Um, it wasn't offered. Oh no, a product was offered, but not money. So no. I got a message um, mm-hmm. on Instagram from a company saying that they would send us their products. If uh-huh. we would do a review of them on our podcast, uh-huh. Becky, you are going to love this product. Okay. Yeah. It is an electric shaver mm-hmm. for your scrotum. Cool. Yeah. Just they, They've obviously never listened to our podcast, Heidi. Look, Becky, you just don't have the balls. To oh, that no, no, no. There's going to be pun after pun, isn't there? Oh, gosh. I'm going to get the sack soon, aren't I? Oh, my God. <laughs> you get one more. Oh, don't be so testy. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I reckon 
think we sure. should accept this deal and I think we should, um, I don't know, <laughs> we're going to test it out. But I'm not joking. That actually happened. I, actually I know. Got that email. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so what do you think, listeners, should we accept this uh, fantastic deal from um, a male grooming company? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we might we might put up a survey and get, get our viewers to vote. Oh, not our, get our listeners to you vote will probably get offers one, yeah. for you know from men offering you no know, sli- there'll be men sliding into our dms going oh you can shave my anyway <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh well though this is when we really have to sign off <laughs> so guys i, I hope I hope you have a lovely night and uh, a lovely week and hopefully we'll see you again maybe for something a lot lighter and funnier. Yeah. Yeah. I think the next one we'll do a bit light and silly. Yeah, I think so too. I think so. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, as always, for your support. And um, don't forget to let us know whether or not you think we should take the uh, sponsorship deal. And we will see you soon. See ya.